Haven't you heard angry grizzly blood makes you hot? Every morning when I wake up, I ask myself if I'm Team Edward or Team Jacob. But a part of me says that Twilight is dumb, the writing is bad. Why is Bella Swan always so dang sad? Mary and Rachel settle this debate. Are these books trash or secretly great? Sounds like we're gonna have ourselves a Twilight! you vampires and haters, welcome back to the Kowski cast. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski. And I'm Rachel Stukenborg. And today we're back for another episode of Twifight, the only podcast on the internet that debates the pros and cons of the Twilight Saga. This week we're breaking down chapter 21, Phone Call, and chapter 22, Hide and Seek, of the first Twilight novel. All right, let's get to it. Woo-hoo. Can I just say, Rachel, that you are my... I, here's the thing. Let me just back up. I need to apologize to, to you. Oh, maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Um, as some people may know, I also do some side gig podcasting for Rob as a podcast. And I took over the Rob as a podcast Instagram. Well, for me, it was last week for you listening. Who knows how long ago it was. But uh, during that, somebody, <sighs> Kirsten McKinnis, may have left me a question on the Instagram <laughs> asking me who my favorite podcasting host was. I saw. It's fine. Now, to to be fair, Kirsten also in like in the next 10 minutes did a really great thing for Kowski Cast, which if you want to find out more about that, go check out the saved highlight of my Instagram takeover on Rob as Rob as a what is it called? Rob Rahap, as a Rahap Grams. Oh. R H A P Grams. Yeah. Anyway, feel free to check that out. But my point is, I just wanted to say, Rachel, while Kirsten may have officially been the person I announced as my favorite co-host, I will say this is the only podcast that I have where number one. One, I don't have to take all the notes. Number two, most of the time Rachel takes the notes before me and I just get to get to open up my my folder to this beautiful document that already has all the outline written and the and the names of the chapters <laughs> plugged in and I feel so spoiled. Am I the secret favorite co-host? Maybe. Oh, you heard it here, guys. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I here. am. Maybe I'm not. Yeah. And now here's the problem. Kirsten listens to Twilight, so she's going to hear this. <laughs> Wait, what about Laura? Um, she's your sister. <laughs> nah, we, everybody knows Laura is not my favorite oh. co-host. So, Laura? But, <laughs> I think so. Laura doesn't listen to Twilight. Actually, I think Laura might listen to Twilight. <laughs> hey, Laura. Too. Laura, I love you. Hey. I love you hey. so much, Laura, who's literally downstairs right now. <laughs> No, but the thing is, I knew that Rachel did not listen or did not uh, check out the rapgrams. I knew that no, she was I totally not going to be did. looking at that. So you did. I did. You saw I that? saw that. I did. Oh, I feel, okay, I feel it's not because now. I follow rapgrams. Sorry, Rob. Sorry, but <laughs> it's because you tagged it on your own Instagram. <laughs> so I was like, oh my god, Mary's famous, and I went to go look, and it was it was awesome. Go check it out if you haven't seen it. Except for the part where you said you had a different favorite co-host. But, you know, I'm fine with being the secret one. I love all of my co-hosts equally, except for Laura, (laughs) who I love the most in real life, being that she is blood. Which brings us to Twilight. Oh, that was that was even better than whatever I was going to say. Let's go with that. Okay. Anyway, now I see in this outline that you have a note written here. You want to discuss what this oh, note is? Oh, yeah. Means? Okay. So I wrote, I have a funny thing about Pottermore to say. It involves Twilight. So Very curious. 
My mother was going through some old like papers and things in her house and she found a bunch of old logins that we had had when we were kids. And one of those was my old login to Pottermore. There's also like Neopets and Webkins, but Pottermore was on there. So I was like, oh my God, I need to see what I did on Pottermore. Turns out I did nothing. I know I didn't write any fan fiction. I knew that, but I thought maybe I commented on something. No, nothing. But... <laughs> I did fill out my bio on Pottermore and it was one sentence. It said, Harry Potter is way better than Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it said. That's all oh it God. said. <laughs> I I think I've mentioned before, I don't know if it was on here or somewhere, but I joined Pottermore in the special like beta version before it was like real Pottermore. And like I had, they had some kind of contest that was like, you have to find these hidden clues in these like, on the page. And then like the first 100 people, it was probably more than 100. It was probably first like 10,000 people to solve the clues could like get into Pottermore early. And I did that and I immediately got in, read like two things, was completely overwhelmed with the amount of content. And and I said, I'll come back to this later. And I never did. Mm, well, now you have Twilight to fill the void. Right, exactly. Okay, chapter <laughs> 21, phone call. So this might be, I don't know if it's the shortest chapter. It's one of the shortest chapters at the very least. It was pretty short. Now, we left off last time, as you might remember where Bella and Alice and Jasper have basically been hiding out in a hotel in Phoenix. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is what happened. <laughs> that is correct. And uh, James is on the prowl. Right. James is on the prowl. And if you recall from the last chapter, Bella calls her house and leaves a message on her home answering machine because her mom, who doesn't have a cell phone or a permanent phone in Florida, mm -hmm. is supposed to call her messages at her house. Right to get updates on Bella, which I think we discussed at the time was a horrible system. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, almost nobody had cell phones in that time, but she should have at least, I mean, she's she's been there for a long time, right? She should have at least some sort of hotel phone. I don't know. I, can they not buy a burner phone? Like, can they not buy yeah. a, a cheap Nokia or something? Right, because this is like a, a Razor, a flip phone. What was popular in 2005? Nokia, like I think. That. I remember playing Snake on yeah. my mom's Nokia. <gasps> Same, our mom Moms had the same Nokia. Oh, that's right. That. that was a great game. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's great. So great that it had Snake on it. I love how that's a novelty. Now we have like computers in our pockets, <laughs> but I'm not playing Snake on them. It's not the same. Maybe I should download Snake yeah. on my I wonder if there's an app that like computer. emulates Nokia Snake. I would love that. I bet there is. Oh my gosh. Hold on. I'm looking it up. I bet there is. <laughs> Nokia Snake game. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I just Googled that. It's just a bunch of pictures of people playing Snake on a Nokia. Is it the one? But I mean, it's not like I can't find like an app. Let me Aww. see if I can find an app for app. Wow, that person who has it like zigzagging across the whole screen. That was me. I was so good at this game. <laughs> okay, it does look like you can do it. Play Snake like it's 1997. <laughs> this is a remake of the original Snake, complete with a dot matrix display and monotone sounds. Oh my god. Rewind time and get a <laughs> dose of nostalgia. Link it to yes, me. Yes, the App Store. The App Store has Snake 97 Retro <laughs> Phone Classic. <laughs> Oh, I'm this so is happy. great. Link it to me. I'm going to send this to you. Thank you. This is amazing. This episode sponsored by Nokia Snake. <laughs> is there an ad for that? Okay. All right. <laughs> There's not. 
but let's get back to this. Okay, so Bella's going to wake up at 2 a.m. because she's turning nocturnal like a vampire. Get it? She's in her hotel room in Phoenix talking to Alice and Jasper, and Alice has had a a, a recent vision, another vision while Bella was asleep. Yeah. Alice basically saw James, the guy who is hunting Bella, back in the VCR room, which we should uh, touch base on that again. So she's seen visions of two different rooms, one being this like random room with a VCR in it, and then another, uh, which is a room full of mirrors, which Bella actually identified already as her childhood ballet studio, which is really close to her mom's house. But anyway, so Alice saw a vision of James in this random VCR room, but she got, it was like during the day this time, because last time it was at night. So she got more details and she starts to sketch it. And then Bella is like, ooh, you got it wrong. Telephone goes there. Yeah, I always found that to be kind of eerie. Like you imagine someone drawing a picture of your house and you just look down and you're like, that's where the, that's where the phone is over there. And they look at you like, how do you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's kind of a frenzy. I also wish I had the ability to draw like from memory, like see a picture in my head Mm -hmm. and then somehow draw it exactly perfectly. Right. Of course, Alice would be able to do this because she's OP as heck. But um, so there's kind of a frenzy after Bella's like, oh, yeah, that's my mom's house. So Alice kind of quickly calls Edward, Emmett, and Carlisle, who are still somewhere else. They're in like a different state trying to lure, what's his name? James. (laughs) James. (laughs) Trying to lure James their way trying to trick him to think that Bella is with them. Um, I don't really remember where they are, but they're far away. Yeah, they're they're still in Washington Oh, okay. Somewhere. They're in Washington. So Alice calls them really quick and they have a really quick lightning fast conversation and basically decided the those three are going to come home, not home, come to Phoenix, pick up Bella and then hide her somewhere else. Yeah. So the new plan is that because we got this vision that's very clearly Bella's mom's house, it seems like James plans to use the house or her mom in order to either lure Bella or something. And so Bella's very anxious about this and Alice and Jasper are like, no, it's okay. We're going to protect your mom. We're going to stay here in Phoenix and protect your mom from James. You go hide with Edward because it's not doing anyone's good to have you two separated right now. We just need to have more protection around you. But Bella is panicking because she feels like, okay, he's James has decided to stop hunting me. He's hunting my family and, and the people I love in order to sort of draw me to him, kind of reverse hunting. Right. And Alice is like, oh, we're going to protect your family. And then Bella comes back with, do you think it's only my human family that he can hurt me with? Implying that the vampires are now her family too. And like, we've had enough lines like this to where I'm not really surprised that she's already like, oh, you're my family. But again, just another moment of like, how did we get here so fast, man? I know. Like, uh, just to, again, put this in context, it's been less than a week since their first date. It's been less than a week since the day that Edward finally decided he was not, in fact, going to kill her and uh, where Alice's vision could have gone one of two ways with him either killing her or not. So, yeah, very dicey uh, that this is, or very, very shocking that that she has grown such strong familial relationships with these people Mm -hmm. so quickly. I, I do think this is very, this is very classic Bella. Kind of the pro side to this is that she's very self sacrificing she cares a lot about the people. Very similar to, you know, basically any other story where there's a hero who 
the bad guy tries to hurt people that the hero loves. The hero starts feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not worth this. It's not worth all these people dying for me, blah, blah, blah. Classic. Mm -hmm. Look at it in Harry Potter, wherever. She feels like even though she doesn't have any special powers, she's just a human. She feels like that she would willingly, you know, sacrifice this uh, this hunt, give herself up basically in order to save all the people around her. And so that's like, that's sort of the positive spin. Now, of course, the negative spin is that she has no sense of self-preservation, which we've seen throughout this. I mean, she's attracted to a vampire who thirsts for her blood. Like, she clearly does not care too much for her own personal well-being, which is also not a great thing to have. Like, it's good to have a balance there. You don't want to be someone who is scared of every little thing, but you need to, you know, have a little bit of care for your own self and sanity. I agree. And this has been a common theme throughout the book. Just like, even when, like, death wasn't really on the table, like, it was more just like, oh, I have a crush on this guy, but he might hurt me. You know what I mean? Like, she wasn't, the only thing she had to lose was not dating Edward. (laughs) It's either, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. 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 Like, even, even back when it was like, oh my gosh, I know he's a vampire. Like, she knew he was vampire Mm -hmm. before he knew that she knew he was a vampire. And she decided a long time ago, like, it would be fine for me to date this guy who eats people. Yeah. Presumably. So, yeah, we've seen this. So she starts thinking that the only way out is that this guy is going to kill her eventually. And uh, she she really doesn't have a lot of faith in the Cullens. She really just feels like this bad vampire is going to get her. Going to get her. And she's like, and how many people will he kill before me? She's like, she starts to see there's only one way out of it, which is that she's going to die. And that how many people are going to die before her? Yes, exactly. So Alice and Jasper start to prepare to check out of the hotel because they're going to relocate closer to her mom's house. Edward and the others are flying in soon, and Bella is super hyped to see Edward. We start getting a lot of lines that are things like, oh, everything is going to be okay. Once I see him again, I'll be able to think clearly. I'll be able to figure this out already. Like, hearing his name is making my heart pound. All this kind of thing. Maybe if I could just see his face again, I would be able to see the solution that avoided me now. They're really into each other. It's a little funny because it was her plan to split up in the first place, like, a couple days ago. Like, I'm not really sure what has changed. I guess the initial idea was, like, you are chasing the bad vampire right now in Forks, and I would just get in the way. But at this point, once James hopped on a plane and escaped, at that point, there's not really any reason for Bella and Edward to be separated. So, yeah. She's excited to see him again. She is. And she's also like, maybe if I could see him, I'll find the solution. But I'm like, how? How will seeing him help you find the solution? And, like, I get she's obsessed with him and she's probably just like oh I just need to see him and then it'll all be clear but I'm like it's not like y'all are really known for working well together and making plans <laughs> like in the car ride when they were making their initial plan she kept trying to get her idea out and then finally she was like does anybody want to hear my idea and he just goes no it, it really seems like this is more just having read this book multiple times like on the first read this comes across very much as a me- you know because we've read these two chapters mm-hmm. We, you know, we can spoil the second chapter in this discussion. Originally, this, uh, the the constant mentioning of seeing Edward again really serves to hype up the reader and then make the reader sad when you know that she's not going to be able to see him Mm -hmm. again. Whereas when you read this like the second time around, because you already know that he's, she's not going to be able to see him Mm -hmm. again, it's just like, oh, I see what you're doing there. You're trying to get me excited. And, and I, 
like every time I read this, I do feel like, oh, I hope that she gets to see him. Maybe it'll be <laughs> different on this read. But it's not. It's not different. This mm. is this is how it is. Because of the big issue that's about to happen, which is Bella's mom is going to call her and she answers the phone, but then James comes on the line and says, basically, I'm going to hurt your mom <laughs> unless you escape Alice and Jasper and come to me. Yeah. And I kind of love how Bella responds to some of this because James is like, can you get away from your friends? And Bella's like, no. <laughs> He's like, well, that's a shame. You want to try a little harder? And she's like, okay, I can do it. I just love the like honest answer that she gives right away, which is like, yeah. no, of course not. How am I supposed to get away from these people? I like that as well. But like, I couldn't tell if she was saying no, because she was scared. Like, no, I don't really want to leave my friends. Or no, because she's like, no, I think it actually be really hard to get away from these two vampires. Let's see. It says, now I want you to listen very carefully. I'm going to need you to get away from your friends. Do you think you can do that? Answer yes or no. No. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I was hoping you would be a little more creative than that. No context, Do you think you please. could get away from them if if your mother's life depended on it? Answer yes or no. Somehow, there had to be a way. I remembered that we were going to the airport. Sky Harbor International Airport. Crowded. Confusingly laid out. Yes. <laughs> I just love that. Okay, so I think it was more of, like, strategically. I, I think it was more like the first time around she was like, no, I, I don't think I can. Mm -hmm. Like, these, you know, I'm they got super speed and hearing and they're very protective and blah, blah, blah. And then this, then she thought, like, okay, if my life depended on it, could I think of a plan to get out? Her life, like, oppositely depends on it, actually. Well, right. If, if her mom's life <laughs> depends on it, I guess, which is different. Yeah, you're right. This is something I kind of want to talk about, like, at large with these two chapters. We can talk about it here. Here, which is Bella is, spoiler alert, going to literally sacrifice or her plan. She She's not going to go and try to save her mom and herself. Mm -hmm. She's going to go and try to save her mom knowing full well that she is going to die. Mm -hmm. There's no escape plan. This is the plan. Her plan is that she is going to sacrifice herself from her mom. It, you know, her, her only success here is that her mom is okay, even if her mom ends up not being okay or the guy goes back on his, on his word. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the plan. You're right. It's not her life or death. It's someone else's life or death. And I think that this is a really tricky, it's a really tricky thing to think about because I think lots of times you think like, okay, I don't know about you, but like sometimes I'll picture myself in a situation where I'm like, what if, what if someone was about to like come at us and attack us, mm -hmm. like me and whoever I'm with? Could I like jump in front? Could I protect this person? And you sort of envision mm -hmm. yourselves in that kind of like hero position every once in a while or, you know, whatever. And I feel like, oh, I would, I would do that in the moment, but that is in the moment decision is a little bit different than a like, I am perfectly safe now and my life is not at stake mm -hmm. at all, but I'm going to put it in a dangerous position to save someone else. Mm. Whereas the scenario I think most people think about is like, if someone's going to come attack us where like, in all cases, like one of us or both of us or, you know, someone's going to get hurt, we're already in the dangerous position and then I'm just going to do a sacrificial move in that dangerous position. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a little bit different. Yeah. Most people think about a split second decision, but she has at least a day to plan like what she wants to do with this. Right. Most people think of a split second decision in which they would be in danger and then would sort of, instead of trying to run for their life, maybe, you know, try to save someone else. Right. This is, she's completely safe. She doesn't need to even run for her life. She's completely safe right now, but she's going to do the opposite. She's going to run for somebody else's life and then die, presumably. The thing about this is, it's not a split second decision, but I feel like she's treating it like a split second decision 
decision. Because immediately during the phone call, she's like, oh yeah, it's time to die. Like, I'm going to go die. I'm going to go run away from Alice and Jasper. I'm going to go find James and I'm going to die. And like, I feel like there are still other options. Like maybe the fact that it's five versus one, they could probably figure something out with this. And like, obviously we'll learn later. Can I spoil this? That James is tricking her a little bit. Not all of what he's saying is true. So maybe if she got her friends on her side, they could have reasoned it out a little bit and been like, I don't know, maybe he's bluffing. So it's not a split second decision, but she's treating it like one. Well, and I mean, this is the classic, you know, bad guy hostage situation. Don't, don't tell the cops. I'll know if you did. I'll, I'll kill the person if you, if you tell the cops or whatever. And that's what James says. He says like, don't, you know, bring any of your vampire friends Mm. with you. I will know if you do. And I mean, the idea there is if Bella was going to go to meet James and James really did have her mom. If that is the scenario and she shows up with Alice or Jasper, yeah, the vampire is much faster than her. He would probably be able to kill her mom before one of them was going to be able to save mm-hmm. them. Probably. That's a probably scenario, but maybe not. Maybe he gets distracted. Maybe they're able to overwhelm him. Maybe, maybe they sneak up behind him. Them. Maybe, you know, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe she comes in as a decoy and then they go around the back. Right. Of course, Edward would probably never let that happen. Probably never let them use her as bait. And Anyway, but, uh, you know, it is a, it is a possibility. Mm-hmm. It is very, it's a cliche of like, don't, don't tell anyone, come by yourself, mm-hmm. whatever. Side note, though, if a vampire's hearing is so great, couldn't Alice probably like hear James on the other side of the phone? I literally had this exact same thought because it, like when she's on the phone with James, James is like, you need to go in the other room. And well, well, no, he says go in the other room so they don't see your emotions, but they're still going to be able to hear you in the other room. So you need to say exactly what I tell you to say. So if they can hear Bella through the wall, you think they could hear the other line of the phone, especially when she was standing right next to them? Well, and like they have super hearing. Right. Like, I don't know about you, but if I got a call on my phone right now and I turned the volume of the other person all the way down to the quietest it could be, if you were in a completely silent room and the, a normal human would be able to hear at least a little bit of what the person yeah. saying on the other side. You'd be able to tell it was like a deep voice versus a high pitched voice. Right. You, you'd you be able to figure out mm-hmm. something at the very least. So they, they said he had a tenor voice. Voice. I don't think Renee has a tenor. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. All in all, I did kind of like the moment where like she hears her mom's voice and her mom's like, Bella, Bella, what's going on? And then she's like, mom, I'm going to tell you everything. Don't interrupt me. And then it's silent. And Bella's like, this is weird. My mom's never silent. So she's like, are you still there? And then all of a sudden it's James's voice. And he's like, do exactly what I say. You know, that was kind of a moment where I was like, ooh, like it's suddenly a thriller. And that was a good spooky moment. And then I also had a thought like just about the whole situation in general. So the build up to this whole thing is like a hostage situation with Renee. And I'm, I'm not gonna lie, like Renee seems cool. I like Renee, but like the entire build up of the story being Renee held hostage feels kind of random because we met her at the beginning of the book and have barely heard of her since. We really only saw her when she was driving Bella to the airport in the very beginning of the book. And then I think Bella wrote her an email and then they talked on the phone for like 0.5 seconds. And then on top of that, Bella and Renee's relationship doesn't seem like super fundamental to Bella's character. She doesn't really like talk about her mom's importance in her life that often. And it kind of seems like, as we talked about in the beginning, she moved away from Phoenix for really no reason. I mean, she was like doing the whole martyr thing, but it felt like not a big enough reason. So to me, it's like, was her relationship with her mom even that like deep, you know? But obviously she doesn't want her mother to be murdered, 100%. But this whole thing with Renee being the hostage, it's 
like not really tugging at my heartstrings. I mean, Renee's cool, but we barely know her. Yeah, so I think it's an interesting conversation, right? Because we've spent much more of the book with Charlie. And if Charlie was captured or something, that this would make, uh, it would probably be a little bit more impactful. I agree. Because we know and care about Charlie. We love Charlie. I think there's a few problems in that, though. Like, just when you get down to it, the reason they don't do that is because we can't have Charlie know about vampires. Mm -hmm. That's the reason. Especially since this ends up being a trick where Renee doesn't know about vampires either because she's not there and it's it's a trick. Um, Couldn't they have done that same thing with Charlie? Well, yes. Except for, like, I guess maybe they don't have a home movie with Charlie's voice on it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But I, I think I think that the, 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 the thing here is, like, this is something that I actually, I'm going to compliment the movie here for a second. In a rare move, compliment the movie. Okay. This is something the movie does a little bit better. You see more of Renee in the movie. Mm. When you get the phone calls and the emails, you see Renee. They'll flash back and forth. And you see Bella being very sad that she's not with her mom. You get a little bit of that in this book. You have to mostly think back to the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. When she's having one of her first conversations with Edward where he's asking her about why she moved here, et cetera, et cetera. And she talks about her mom in a very wistful way. She's got a very odd relationship with her mom where she feels more like the parent and she feels sort of responsible for Renee. It makes sense why she would want to sacrifice herself for her. She treats her mom like a child. Mm-hmm. She's describing Renee oh, that's as a good being point. very childlike. So a lot of that fits into this character of we understand why Bella feels like she needs to rescue her mom. I don't think Bella would feel like she needs to rescue her dad in the same Mm -hmm. way. Charlie is a police officer. Charlie kind of can take care of himself a little bit more, has been living alone for a lot longer. So there's that. I mean, she clearly cares about her father, and this is why they move the end battle to Phoenix anyway, because she wants to get get the vampires away from her dad and Forks. So I do, like, I I, I think it's, um, it's hard because I don't know who a good substitute would have been for somebody, you know, like, maybe in an alternate universe, uh, Mike or Lauren. <laughs> Wait, not Lauren. Jessica. But, but Mike F. Lauren, or, man, are you kidding? Or Jessica F. Lauren. Yeah, no, but <laughs> if Lauren's captured by James, Bella's like, psh, who cares? Who? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. This feels like a joke we already made. Did we make this joke last time about, like, if James had tried to figure out who her friends were and then <laughs> accidentally captured Lauren and then they would be like, who cares? Nobody cares about Lauren. We might have. Bella would have been like, psych. But it's still funny, so we're going to make that joke again. It would have been really funny. So basically, she's like, okay, my only choice here is to go to the mirror room and die. Mm -hmm. In those words, exactly. Yeah, despite the fact that that she has all her her vampires on Mm -hmm. her side. The battle, right, like, (laughs) if the goal was to kill James and to save Bella, sure, just take your vampires, go meet up with James, and they'll kill James. Mm -hmm. But her mom might die. Now, realistically, Bella, if you've watched any movie, you should know that the bad guy is probably still gonna kill your mom even if you show up and die yeah like eh, it's yeah whatever so then bella's gonna write a letter to edward <laughs> and okay i do feel like this letter is super cheesy it is. but i do like that it, it feels like a letter like an emotion like what a 17 year old girl thinks a really heartfelt emotional letter sounds like that you're like hastily writing i agree because she's like focusing on the things that matter the least in this letter 
older. Yes. One part that really stood out to me about sounding like a teenager, she was like, don't be mad at Alice and Jasper because I got away. <laughs> you know, like, stop being, like, don't be mad. I don't know. I feel like that's something I said at some point for some reason back when I was a teenager. Don't be mad. She also puts a lot in here about like, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Don't be angry with me. Don't be angry at Alice mm-hmm. and Jasper. Like, she's pleading for him to forgive her because she's already planning on dying. Yeah. It's very Romeo and Juliet feeling. It's, it's, uh, which if you recall, they are like 13 and 14 yeah. or something ridiculous like that. So, <laughs> checks out. But I'm thinking about like when I was in middle school and high school and I thought I had these really deep emotions, right? And you, you think you're in love or maybe you are, whatever. I'm not going to like nitpick on whoever's individual. You can be in love and be in high school. It's fine. <laughs> I, I guess I'm saying like my own personal self. I used to, you know, write in my diary or write little, I'm not even going to call it poetry, but sort of like poetic ramblings, right? And it felt a lot like this. And at the time when you're emotional, you feel like this is just like, oh, I'm so, I'm pouring out my heart and this is so beautiful. And then you read it back later or just like on a day when you're not feeling that emotion, you're like, this is crap. <laughs> like, no garbage. This is the worst love letter ever. I would like to give my dramatic reading of Bella's letter. Yes, please. I love you. I am so sorry. He has my mom and I have to try. I know it might not work. I am so very, very sorry. Don't be angry with Alice and Jasper. If I get away from them, it will be a miracle. Tell them thank you for me. Alice especially, please. Yeah, screw Jasper. (laughs) And please, please don't come after him. That's what he wants, I think. I can't bear it if anyone has to be hurt because of me, especially you. Please, this is the only thing I can ask of you now. For me, I love you. Forgive me, (laughs) Bella. Snaps for that. I had to plug my nose not to laugh. She says, I'm so very, very sorry, like three times in here. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. Also, I love that each sentence is like two words for drama effect. Yes. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. It's dramatic. And then the worst part of this is at the end of the chapter where she says, and then I carefully sealed away my heart. Oh, yeah. That was the worst part. I almost made that my worst line. It's bad. It's really bad. It's really bad. It would have been my worst line. I almost wrote it down. For me. Your- section of the notes as the worst line (laughs) i just wrote it down there but yeah so then she's her plan is to give the letter to alice and then alice is gonna like put it in her mom she says it's a letter for her mom to put in her mom's house because alice and jasper are going to her mom's house to protect her mom which to me i'm like alice is smart she should have included into like that's a little sketch if she can literally call her because they just talked on the phone but anyway that's the end of the chapter yeah that's the end of the chapter so next chapter chapter 22 hide and seek this is we said like the baseball scene chapter was sort of a climactic part and then we realized it wasn't really the climax this is what i would call the climax of the book, right? Yeah. Probably. I agree. No more rising action. We have risen. We are there. This is the conflict. It probably bleeds over very slightly into the following <laughs> chapter, chapter 23, which we haven't read yet. Ha. Ooh, that was a... <laughs> that was get good. it? Get it? Yeah. B- bleeds good, over. Good yeah. pun. G- good, good pun there. But yeah, this chapter, I really like a lot of this. The first time I read this, I thought it was really cool how she escapes Alice and Jasper. So let's get into it. Alice is going to get another vision of the mirror room. This time, it we, we don't hear exactly what happened. Like, Bella is just sort of guessing because Alice gets really upset and she says, Bella, and she's sort of like still in a trance. And so Bella guesses that Alice has now seen the mirror room with Bella in it, probably dead. Yeah, the vision almost seemed 
painful to Alice. She's like white knuckle gripping the desk that she's at and then Jasper runs over and he's super concerned. When Bella runs over, she's like, oh, it was nothing. I just saw the VCI room again. And so this is like, this is kind of a weird chapter, especially in the beginning because Bella is putting a lot of effort into kind of being like a dead, um, like no expression, like really trying to hold down her panic because since Jasper can sense emotions, Mm -hmm. she feels like if she's just out there panicking and acting really afraid and everything that they will might be clued into her plan for escape and the fact that she's terrified that her mom is being tortured or whatever held hostage right so she's trying to kind of dull down her emotions which has a couple like really weird moments where she's talking to alice or jasper and says things and it says like i said uncaringly or i said with no emotion or i said bored it wasn't Uh even a question like that kind of thing so after alice has her vision she runs over and she's like what did you see but in the text it's like i said as monotone and uninterested as possible i don't know if it actually says that but it says something like that it's like oh what could you possibly have seen and she knows what it is because she she knows she's about to go by what did you see i said and there was no question in my flat uncaring voice (laughs) (laughs) and the thing here is she's trying to trick jasper so if she was trying to trick jasper why be like uncaring about that instead of like oh my god what did you see no, I because I, I don't think it's like that. I think it's she is so emotionally at the end of her breaking point mm. that she is doing everything she can to not be terrified right now gotcha. and not be obviously terrified that the only thing she can do to replace that, she can't act happy, she can't act normal. She's just acting kind of dead and zombie-like. And I identify with this. This is something that I think we will have a lot more to talk about in the next book. But there's, I don't know if, maybe this is weird that I've done this. I'm sure some people can identify with with this out there, but I've had times in my life when I've either been very sad or very upset or angry or whatever, and I will sort of like feel feel like it's a good idea to dull down my emotions. Be like, you know what? I'm so past being upset. I'm all cried out Mm -hmm. that now I'm just empty Mm -hmm. and I just just want to like, I can't respond. I'm a zombie. Sometimes it can be in a, maybe you have an argument with someone and then it's kind of almost passive aggressive. Like, I'm not even going to show emotion anymore. Like I am shutting down. Or sometimes you are so sad or beyond whatever emotion that you are just nothing. Yeah. And so I kind of get where she's coming from in this. I think that this is actually a pretty relatable way of handling something. Probably not a very healthy way of doing it, but something that I think probably other people can identify with, whether it be in the like teenage heartbreak way or if it's in a much more serious way with a real, real emotional uh, and devastating circumstances. So mm-hmm. I get this. Yeah, that makes sense. And leading up to this, we didn't include a lot, but there's a lot where she's like, after she gets off the phone, she's like, I could feel the panic rising and I let it like wash over for a little bit. And then I just decided I couldn't fake it. So I just decided to shut down. So she does. Yeah. She does mention that, which makes sense. Like she's marching to her death. Yep, pretty much. So they're going to end up heading off towards the airport. And Alice is going to explain to Bella how her visions work, kind of, Mm -hmm. because Bella's a little curious at this point, which is that her, her visions only show her the course that someone is on while they're on it. When they change their mind, so does the future. So 
they didn't see James was going to be in Phoenix until he made a snap decision to do so. Likewise, she didn't see Bella in the mirror room until Bella just decided that she was going to go there. So the future is changing with people's decisions, which I think makes sense, kind of. So it's like Alice is seeing, Alice is seeing the current course of the future. So like, if you were like, hey, Alice, what's going to happen today, five years from now? I don't know how far out her future goes, but I don't know if there's like a whole lot of use in that because literally like butterfly effect, any decision anyone makes could change that future. So it seems like Alice mostly checks things that are like in the next couple days, basically, or like minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And so if she's just kind of looking into the next day and it's like, oh yeah, Bella might, uh, she might go to a movie. And then Bella's like, you know what? I decided I don't want to go to a movie. Then Alice will be like, never mind. You're not going to a movie anymore. It right. kind of, like, it, it makes sense. It makes it less myth- mystical because she's not, like, seeing a thing that hasn't been decided. She's only seeing something that has been decided. So it's less mystical, but it also kind of isn't useful, right? Because, like, Bella doesn't need to know what Bella's already decided. Like, she already knows it. Mm-hmm. It just means Alice now knows what Bella has decided. Does that make sense? It does. This might be kind of a loophole that I'm not sure it's a rule that they follow. I'm going to be curious to track this, but I think that this, I think we're going to run into some issues with this definition okay. of how Alice uh, visions work. I agree that it kind of makes it less mystical. For some reason, like reading intentions and being able to envision like people's intentions feels more realistic than just seeing the future and being like, oh yeah, Bella's going to die. I don't know. I don't know why. It's almost like a subset of Edward's power. Like she can kind of read minds right. from afar, but only based on like what their course of action is. Like she's seeing the outcome of decisions. Yes. So she can see a little bit into the future that obviously Bella can't see, but it's based on the plan of people in the present. So it is a lot more like Edward's situation because it's not like two days ago she saw Bella dying. She didn't. And it's not like, and and it's kind of the same thing with like the whole meadow, right? Edward says that Alice saw two different outcomes for the meadow. She saw either that he was going to kill Bella or that they were going to like fall in love. (laughs) She saw both of those outcomes equally and it wasn't until until Edward decided what he was going to do that the future like formed. Right. Which is kind of useless. Yeah. Basically, that's just saying, hey, here is the logical course of action between a decision that you need to make. You also can see that outcome <laughs> in your mind. Dude, I have Alice's superpower. I can see the possible ways that things would go. Yeah. So it's kind of lame now that we're thinking about it. <laughs> and I guess Alice really doesn't have a power. Lame. Maybe she's not OP. Okay. But she can, but she can see the weather. No. Alice is canceled. Alice is canceled. Weather is lame. (laughs) Alice is canceled. Okay, so uh, they go to the airport and Bella plans her escape. Her escape is that she's going to pretend to be hungry and keep putting off needing to get food until the last minute when she gives Alice the letter, quote unquote, for her mom, mm-hmm. which is really for Edward. And she is, go- which is really lucky that she did this because if she didn't do this, well, we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> but basically, she's going to be like, oh, never mind, Alice. Actually, I want to get food, but I need Jasper to come with me. She's like, I'm feeling kind of stressed and I, I, I want Jasper to come with me because he can help me not feel stressed. Yeah, she needs Jasper because she needs Jasper to not go into the bathroom with mm-hmm. her. I don't really know why both of them couldn't have just gone with her. Like, I guess yeah. Alice needs to stay there with the bags. Stay like, with I don't the know. luggage. I feel like they, they all could have gone. <laughs> yeah, but whatever. Plot reasons. Um, I'm also not sure why Alice wouldn't be able to 
see Bella's plan to escape through the bathroom because she made this plan like before they got to the airport. Oh, that's a good point. But she kind of gets her visions in spurts though, right? Maybe she just hasn't had it yet. Well, so that's another thing. That's another thing that's kind of unclear is I think like sometimes she gets her visions in spurts, which is kind of how the movie portrays it. But she also, I believe, can sort of like choose to look into the future Mm -hmm. and choose to look and see like what's going to happen. So like when they were talking about playing baseball and she sort of looks into the future and is like, oh yeah, the weather is going to be like this. So she can kind of do it on command. So maybe she's just so nervous about Edward arriving on a plane or whatever that she's just not concentrating on the future right now and she's concentrating more on the present. Maybe she's concentrating on so many different things that she's not concentrating on what Bella's going to do in like 10 seconds. But Yeah, maybe they never expected Bella to run. Yeah. I noted here that Bella is already so final in her decisions. Mm -hmm. She's talking about like looking at the board of destinations and being like, oh, Chicago, New York, places I'd never seen and never would see. She's already decided that she's definitely going to die. Mm Mm-hmm. She's already, like, mourning herself. Yeah. So she manages to escape because there is conveniently a bathroom on this floor that has two doors, Mm -hmm. like, one on each side. So she's going to go into the bathroom and then run out the other end, quickly go into an elevator, get on a shuttle to the Hyatt, and then a cab to her mom's house. And Mm -hmm. so she does all this really quickly and manages to escape Jasper. And she has has a little time in the cab ride where she sort of imagines that she had stayed in the airport and met Edward and gone off somewhere with him but that didn't happen sad i kind of did like the whole escape scene though it was like it was yeah, high paced it, it was kind of fun i was like bella's doing something and i realized for the first time in a while we hadn't really gotten like a moment in the book where like bella's by herself and she's like in her own thoughts deciding what to do so that was kind of cool she was like doing something even though i don't agree with what she's doing <laughs> it was kind of an interesting or it was kind of like a fun scene it was also something that for once i feel like is pretty realistic like when you watch action movies or whatever in the in the a sort of normal person has to do something very extreme uh just in the nick of time mm-hmm. right i'm always looking at this going could i do this <laughs> could i i get this a lot in horror films yeah. too like could i do this very extreme out of character you know speed chase down a highway or whatever and this is a pretty normal like believable scenario that a 17 year old girl could quickly run away in an airport hop into Jump on a bus. you know the first vehicle that she sees and then get in a cab. Yeah. Like, that is reasonable. It was also clever. Unexpected and clever. I think Bella is kind of clever sometimes and it's easy to forget because she's often, like, kind of overshadowed. But this was a clever escape. But anyway, yeah. Is Bella a Ravenclaw? Maybe. I was just trying to think on that. She's not a Slytherin. I don't think Bella's really book smart, I don't though. find her to be a Hufflepuff because she's not very nice. No. Well, she's book smart when it comes to, like, English and biology. She's she not doesn't good really at like math. to read, though. Yeah, she does. That's like all she likes to do. Really? She went to that bookstore, remember? Oh. That's when she got attacked by the men on the street. The men on the street. (laughs) They wanted her books. She was trying to go to a bookstore. (laughs) I don't feel like that's been a big character trait, though. She she was like reading, she was reading something. I know she has been reading for school. She was reading like Pride and Prejudice and then she got mad. Yeah, for school, though. No, she was reading for fun. She like got a bunch of Jane Austen books and was reading them, but then like everybody's like main character's name was like Edward. Oh, you're totally right. She was like, ugh. She got mad and closed the book. Okay. Turns out Bella does like to read. So yeah, I'd say she's a Ravenclaw. Yeah, how could you forget? Okay. Let's it's go with shocking that. how forgettable her character is. <laughs> 
So Bella's going to get to her mom's house and she's going to call the number that's by the phone and James answers and is like, hey, go to the ballet studio. (laughs) And so she goes to the ballet studio. Also, why did she leave a key under the eaves to her house? Okay, a couple things. Number one, I don't care. Like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm different, Rachel. Let me ask you this. You live in a different, not even a different city, you live in a different state than your, like, childhood house Mm -hmm. where your mom lives. Do you have a key to that house on your keychain? Yeah, I do. Was that the answer you were looking for? (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I could understand if you lived really, really far away that you wouldn't, but, like, we both live within driving distance, so we could go home on the weekend and maybe we'd need a key, right? So I have a key. In no scenario, Isabella should have a key to her mom's house, first off, but second off, in no scenario should they have literally moved away from that house like Renee pieced out months ago to Florida why did they leave a key under the door that's like leaving a key under the mat yeah like, people could break in someone who wanted this to rob so a house we easily notice this house hasn't had someone in it for weeks and the first thing they're gonna do is look for a spare key so much easier than breaking a window <laughs> not saying I've robbed any houses but if I was going to first thing I would do look for a spare key yeah this is this is really dumb yeah pretty dumb but I think she just needed a convenient way to get in the house quickly but you know, she could have just written as like, and then I pulled out my key that I've always had on me because that's what people do. And I unlocked the house. Uh, Anyway, also part of me is like, so James told her, you need to beat me. You need to go to your mom's house, call the number that's on the whiteboard, and then I'll tell you what to do next. And she was like, I already know he's going to tell me to go to the ballet studio, but I have to do what he says. So she goes to the house, calls him. He's like, go to the ballet studio. And she's like, okay, why didn't you just tell her to go to the ballet studio? I don't know. (laughs) I think if I had to guess, it's for two reasons. One would be that on the off chance that if he didn't realize let's see, Bella happens to know where this ballet studio is because she knows it's around the corner Mm -hmm. from her house, but maybe he's thinking like, oh, if she doesn't know where that is, I'll just have her go to her house first and then direct her from there. Okay. That's part of it. Another part might be because we know that James had to go to her house, well, we're about to find out, to get her VHS tapes Mm -hmm. and maybe this step of going into the house again much like the visions of seeing James in the room with the VCR. Those are Easter eggs. Those are clues that we're going to piece together that our savvy reader might be able to realize he's doing something with a VCR yeah. and that, you know, that's going to be important. And then my third guess is that we're going to get a moment right after this where she's running to the ballet studio and she feels out of place and out in the open in Phoenix and she's going to start to miss forks and the protectiveness and the greenness and she's going going to sort of have some like memory flashbacks of her mom at the house and she feels like this is no longer a sanctuary this is a mm-hmm. place where the enemy has been so maybe it's just to get like some of that sort of dramaticness you know the moment of her running away from her childhood mm-hmm. home realizing that it's no longger a safe spot and that she belongs in forks where <laughs> Edward is. That's a good point and um, there was a moment where she's leaving her house she's like from the corner of my eye I could almost see my mother in the shade of the big eu- eucalyptus tree where I played as a child or kneeling by the little plot of dirt around the mailbox the cemetery of all the flowers she tried to grow and i get what they were trying to do there they're trying to like like you were saying build up this comparison between like childhood home but it's no longer safe but i also felt like they were trying to do some renee character development with the cute little like oh it's a flower cemetery because she couldn't grow any it's too late (laughs) 
She's already a hostage. You can't develop her right now. Yeah, and and this is a problem I have a lot more in movies. I nitpick this a lot in movies mm-hmm. about like don't make don't try to get me to care about somebody who I don't know who you're throwing in right at the mm-hmm. end. For whatever reason, Twilight the book doesn't bother me about this. I think just because I've read it so many times that I really do pick up on and cling to all those moments where Bella thinks about her mom or misses her mom or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the whole like loss of innocence thing, right? Like she lived her whole life with her mom. They were happy. She didn't want to visit her dad. She doesn't particularly connect with her father, but she goes there anyway, is going to grow to like Forks, and we need to, by comparison, make her dislike her old life more. And some of that is going to be that I don't think she's ever going to be able to look at this house and this town the same way again. I think you're right. That's why this piece is here, so we can have a book too. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So Bella's going to get to the ballet studio, and twist, her mom's not there after all. Oh. The panicked voice was actually from a VHS tape that what? James got at Bella's house. And there are several coincidental plot points here that we have to, of course, call out. Mm-hmm. One is that it's lucky that they didn't piece together the fact that both of the rooms had a VCR and that this was important. They could have probably figured that out uh, yeah. if they'd really wanted to, but they didn't. Um, secondly, it's very lucky for James that Bella wasn't able to actually contact her mom. If her mom had a cell phone or a phone in Florida, uh, Bella would have been able, just been able to call her and be like, hey, uh, whatever. Now, most <laughs> likely what happened here and the way that you can kind of make this make sense is James comes to Phoenix not to try and trap her mom, but just to try and see if he can catch up with Bella. Mm-hmm. Gets to Phoenix and realizes that he can't, but he's going to go look for clues at Bella's house with the address that he got from Victoria in Forks. So James goes to Bella's house, sees the answering machine blinking because Bella just called, listens to the message, probably also then deletes it so that her mom can't hear the real message, listens to the message, and then gets the idea and understands that Bella can't contact her mom directly, Mm -hmm. otherwise why would she be doing this, and realizes this plan could probably work. All of this to say the only reason this plan works is because Bella's mom doesn't have a cell phone. Come on, mom. Get a Nokia. It's it's reasonable for 2005, but it's not reasonable to move away from your daughter and have no regular way of contacting her besides email. That I don't think is reasonable. Yeah, especially when they were there for so long. They've been there for weeks, months. There's got to be something. Months. Yeah. Months. Yeah. And I'm sure they're staying so, in the same place. I'm sure there's like a temporary phone they could have given her. Plus, this is pretty much the only time in any of the books in this series where it's going to seem like it's difficult to contact Renee. Maybe Renee gets a cell phone after this. But earlier, when Bella gets injured by the, you know, the car mm-hmm. crash situation and goes to the hospital, her dad's like, I called your mom. How? How did you call her mom? <laughs> Like, I would love to know how you were able to do that so easily. You're so right. Charlie literally called her. Plot holes. On what phone? Plot holes. On what phone? So... Yes, this happens. Yeah. What do you want to talk about in terms of James? So she's going to mm-hmm. run into this room and, and see, see see James here. Yeah, so and, she runs uh, in, she sees the VCR, and then she realizes like, oh man, he got me. And then he, in notorious like villain bad guy fashion, he like starts speaking from behind her and like he's by the exit basically. And then he kind of, she's kind of like, interestingly, she's relieved that her mom isn't there. I mean, obviously she's relieved that her mom isn't there. She, like her mom is actually safe, but... Part of her is almost like super happy and like kind of giddy and suddenly she's like super confident in talking to him because she's like, oh, I'm just going to die. Nothing else, (laughs) you know? Yeah. On brand, on brand. 
she realizes that this was all for literally nothing. Mm-hmm. Her mom wasn't in danger and all she did was just run to her death for absolutely no reason. Yeah. But at the same time, she's relieved to know that her mom is not actually held captive. Right. And so that's good. Um, I, I just want to read something here. So I want to read the preface again because we read this at the, the beginning of the book. Yeah, it's actually called a preface. Oh. I wrote prologue <laughs> in the notes, but yeah, it's called the preface. Okay. So I just want to read this again because this is where the preface takes place, actually. It says, I'd never given much thought to how I would die, though I'd had reason enough in the last few months. But even if I had, I would not have imagined it like this. I stared without breathing across the long room into the dark eyes of the hunter, and he looked pleasantly back at me. Surely it was a good way to die, in the place of someone else, someone I loved. Noble, even. That ought to count for something. I knew that if I'd never gone to Forks, I wouldn't be facing death now. But terrified as I was, I couldn't bring myself to regret the decision. When life offers you a dream so far beyond any of your expectations, it's not reasonable to grieve when it comes to an end. The hunter smiled in a friendly way as he sauntered forward to kill me. Now, that's beautiful and lovely. Does not (laughs) actually make sense. Just in the way that she says, surely it was a good way to die in the place of someone else, someone I loved. Noble even. Yes and no. That would be the case if you were dying instead of your mom, but your mom was never in danger and you actually just ran to your death for no reason. You're so right. Reading this at the beginning of the book, I think I mentioned at the time when we read it that I always interpreted this as, well, the very first time I read this, I, for whatever reason, and I think I said this then, thought that this was Edward killing her. I don't know. I think we're meant to think that the first time you read it. I think you're meant to read this the first time and think she falls in love with the vampire, but then the vampire turns on her and kills her. And I think that that's definitely the way I read it the first time. When I've read it in subsequent times, I still read it thinking, oh, she's, she's dying in place of her mom or in place of Edward. That's what I thought this time. But it's not really either of those. No, because I didn't remember what happened. And I was like, I knew there was a villain vampire who we don't meet until later. But I thought for some reason she was dying in place of Edward. Because that makes the whole, that ties together the whole thing a little better with the whole, when life gives you a lemon so far beyond your dreams. Is that what she says? I don't think it's a lemon, but... When life offers you a dream so far beyond any of your expectations. But yeah, it's weird when you actually read it again and realize that those are two separate things. She's yeah. talking about her life handing her Edward, which is the dream. Mm-hmm. But she's also talking about dying in place of her mom. Except not really. But yeah. anyway, I just think it's interesting to reread that at the point where it kind of fits in the book, which is in the scene. It's almost like she's forcing herself to believe that, that she is dying in place of her mom. Just so like, this wasn't for nothing. I don't know. In the moment, she, I don't know. She's not really thinking like that. She's more just like, oh, cool. She's safe. It's all good. I just die now. Cool. And and she even says somewhere in this area that she, like, when she starts to feel really relieved, she says that she could kind of tell in the back of her mind that she was about to snap from stress Mm -hmm. and that she was just like, you know, she knew that she was losing it a little bit. Yeah. But. So James and Bella are going to chat about how he tricked her. And it's that whole classic like movie villain is like, let me tell you my whole plan and tell you exactly how I found you and blah, blah, blah. One thing I want to note about James is that he's wearing a pale blue long sleeve t-shirt, not a light blue long sleeve t-shirt, pale blue. So I think we solved it. Light meant thin in the earlier chapters, not light in color. 
Because they would have just said pale. Yeah. If it was color. Is that the idea? Okay. (laughs) Sure. Let's go with that. Okay. We've solved it, guys. Boom. Light means thin, and we are going to continue to track that to see if that holds up and makes sense for the next several books. I will say I don't think that makes 100% sense because I'm pretty sure they also described like furniture as being light gray at one point, but (laughs) maybe not. I don't remember. We'll have to see. I was just trying to solve a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, good job. Thank you. So... I I do love at one point in here, James is going to say, it's amazing. Some of you seem to have no sense of your own self-interest at all, which is exactly what I said about Bella last chapter. Yes. James said it, not us. He sees it. You heard it here. I also think it's funny that when Bella is like taking James in, she's like, he's pretty average looking. Nothing remarkable about him at all in his face or in his body. <laughs> and like for normal people, this it's like, it's a little bit of a roast, but I feel like for a vampire, who's supposed they're supposed to be like beautiful and like inhuman. This is a huge roast and I like it. He's, he's average looking. <laughs> And that's what I wonder, like, is this a plot issue? I I thought we established that all vampires are, like, super hot. Or is it just that all the Cullen vampires are super hot? It's the Cullens on those vegetarian diets. We should keep tracking this, too. Maybe. Well, we should keep tracking this to see if all any other vampires are average looking or not. Haven't you heard angry grizzly blood makes you hot? Well, sign me up <laughs> for some <laughs> angry grizzly blood. Okay. Anyway. Uh, James says that he's disappointed that this was so easy to get her alone. And so he's like, well, I hope Edward comes after you so that I can battle him some. That would be more fun. Yeah. And in this moment, it's like, come on, man. Even James is like, I can't believe you didn't try anything else. I can't believe this was so easy. And then James, he starts to explain like how he figured out where they were. I think Victoria was tracking uh, Edward and the other two. What are the names? Carl- Edward, Carlisle, and Emmett. <laughs> I can't remember their names. Okay, I'm just gonna start this whole sentence over. You've only been reading an entire book about them. Yeah, but over the course of like a year. <laughs> That doesn't make it better. Okay. Victoria was tracking Edward, Emmett, and Carlisle for James to keep track of like where they were because James wasn't really sure where she went. And then when they decided to go to Phoenix, wait, that was recently. What was it? When they decided to go to Phoenix, he knew for sure that Bella was in Phoenix. Yeah. So he knew that her mom lived there and he was like, huh, maybe she would actually go there because that's where her mom is. And then that was just doubly confirmed when... And Edward hopped on a plane to go to Phoenix. Yeah, so he foiled Bella's brilliant plan in about a week or less. It's only been a few days, right? But anyway, then James goes on the spiel where he was like, oh, and it was all for him, of course, implying that like he's hunting Bella just because Edward is protecting her and he's trying to get Edward to come after him because he's like, this is what makes it fun. Like beating a human, psh, easy, but beating a human protected by a vampire, that's what I wanted to make it fun. So now he's like, well, you're here. I'm going to kill you, but I hope I hope your boyfriend comes after me. Is he going to? And he questions her like three different times. She's like, no, no, I don't think so. But what was interesting about this to me is, so he comes out with this whole thing. He's like, oh, and by the way, this was all for Edward. It's not you. Like, I want Edward to come after me. I want to fight Edward. And it's like, I feel like now the romance is part of the plot. (laughs) And like, obviously she's in this whole situation because of the romance with Edward, but it didn't feel like part of the plot. The plot felt like something completely different because James was like this character who came in right 
at the end and just like really wanted to basically eat Bella. But now it's like, well, it wasn't really because of Bella. It was because of their relationship that they're in this situation. Yeah, we've connected it all back up again. And this is where you get the damsel in distress is is gonna be so upset that her boyfriend is gonna fight the bad guy because she's trying to be a martyr over here <laughs> and she wrote him a letter telling him not to come <laughs> and telling him not to be mad but oh no now she just knows that the worst thing she, he, Edward is already gonna lose Bella which is bad enough but now on top of all that he's going to have to be tortured by the fact that he's gonna see a video of her being murdered and she just knows how hard that's gonna be for him. Oh yeah, did we get to that part yet? It's gonna be so hard. So James Sure. <laughs> James pulled out a video camera. Did we get did we say that already? Uh, no, go ahead and say it now. Oh, okay. James pulled out a video camera and he's basically like, it's so cute that you wrote your boyfriend a letter. I'm gonna write him a letter too to get him to come after me. And he's basically like, I'm gonna film this whole thing where I kill you and I'm gonna leave it for Edward to find. And then there's no way he's not gonna come after me. Which is pretty horrifying. And then the attack kind of starts. He's kind of like, all right. There's another kind of weird part that's in here that I feel like this is one of the pieces that makes this book feel most like it needs a sequel because it's kind of like thrown in at the end kind of randomly, which is James starts talking about Alice's vampire origins and how he had also hunted her down when she was a human, but there was another old vampire who was trying to protect her, which is part of what made it fun for him to hunt her down again is like much much like with Bella and Edward, it makes the game more interesting to have some opponents who are more, you know, on his skill level. He basically says, you know, Bella, it's really lame that you have to die. There was a really simple solution to this. All Edward had to do was turn you into a vampire. He couldn't do it, which is so funny because Alice was a human and her vampire friend turned her into a vampire, which is why I stopped tracking her all those years ago. So instead, because there, I didn't really have any beef with her and there wasn't any reason to try and kill her when she was a newborn very strong vampire. Instead, I just killed the, the vampire that turned her into a vampire. And so, it's like a nice little trade here. Yeah, Edward's gonna lose you, but he gets Alice. So, it's kind of interesting, because we've heard before that Alice has no memory of her human life. Her beginning memory started when she was turned into a vampire. We find out here from James that he knew her as a human, even if she doesn't remember it, and that she was in an asylum for having visions of the future. And so people thought that she belonged in an insane asylum, and that is where she met this uh, this vampire. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool part that I wish we had gotten a little more of. And interesting that Alice didn't recognize him. Like, I wish in the baseball scene, obviously Alice wouldn't have recognized him because she doesn't remember anything from her human life. But it would have been cool to have some sort of reaction from James from seeing Alice. Because I feel like we didn't get a ton of character development with James, but he's actually kind of like a really threatening, interesting, like scary villain especially when the attack starts so James eventually is like all right we don't really have anything more to talk about and he kind of starts prowling around in a circle and then does the whole crouching thing again with the like cat-like moves I don't know but eventually I think she tries to run because she starts to panic but then he just kind of punches her in the chest and she flies across the room and hits a glass mirror and the mirror shatters and like falls on the floor around her horrifying but then James is like pretty cool right like I picked this room for the effects for my cool movie that I'm gonna send to your boyfriend. And that like added level of like, he's torturing her, but he also specifically did this so he could film this video with cool effects. That's like, that's a really 
good, not a good villain. What am I trying to say? That's a really... <laughs> Rachel's about to praise Twilight for having a good villain. <laughs> this is a great villain. Like, that's horrifying. Like, one, he's torturing her, but two, he, I don't know, he picked this room specifically because it would be extra cool to torture her in. Yeah, it adds a level of sadisticness to what was before that just pure gruesome murder. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think that there's like a couple ways to look at this because some people might say if you analyze the villain, right, like besides these few connections we've got here with like the Alice situation, James shows up three quarters of the way through the book out of nowhere. Up until this point, the Cullens are the only vampires we know. All of a sudden we've met new vampires and it's like, whoa, villain who's who's here. The movie is actually gonna, once again, gonna praise it, gonna do a better version of this where they build in James and Victoria and Laurent into the plot earlier on where it's going to seem like there are these vampires in the area who are killing people sort Mm -hmm. of throughout the movie. So there's an eminent threat that's coming and you're like, ooh, who are they? But in this, they're just nomads passing through in the book. They show up right at the end. We don't know anything about him. He has no personal relationship with Bella. And so it's a kind of odd person to have as your main villain when you don't really have any prior relationship to the hero. And this is something that I nitpick a lot. Uh, Feel free to watch my video on why the crimes of Grindelwald makes no sense on YouTube (laughs) because I talk a lot about this, about how the hero and the villain need to have a relationship in order to make it compelling. Right. But the other way to look at this is that this is way more action and plot than I kind of thought we were going to get in a book that's just about a human vampire romance. This book could have easily been this book completely without this. And the whole conflict could be, do Edward and Bella get over the fact that they're one human and a vampire? Like, we actually got some plot, which was kind of interesting. We got some conflict and some some suspense that's completely outside of the two main characters. So, in some ways, it's good. In some ways, it doesn't feel earned. But it's definitely, uh, like, when I read this for the first time, I was like, whoa, this, like, turned into an action book at the end. I wasn't expecting that. Suddenly, it's a spooky thriller action book, like you said. I wish it had been developed a little more, but it it did kind of surprise me. And and this is something that I complain a lot about on the Riverdale podcast, which is that Riverdale tries to be both a teen drama and a thriller mystery at the same time. And they don't do either one well. <laughs> this, I think, does the teen drama really well. I think this does teen drama really well, and that's 90% of the book. And then they throw in some thriller mystery, which is a little bit like, okay, interesting, <laughs> but doesn't really... Yeah. It's like, it's fine. It, it adds something to the book. You know, it it adds some real stakes that were kind of no longer there. It adds some external stakes and it's going to make more sense when you look at the series as a whole, all four books. Then, and and we'll talk more in the, in books two, three, and four, there's more of a centralized villain that fits in more with like the plot and makes more sense rather than this kind of rogue random villain. Mm -hmm. But they still are doing the, the teen drama aspect really well. And then you have other books like the Mortal Instruments series. Which does lots and lots and lots of action and mystery and characters throughout and does that really, really badly and tries to (laughs) sprinkle in some teen drama throughout and also does that really badly. I thought you were going to say the action was good, but you're right. No, it's no, it's all really bad. It's all really bad. So I would say like at least this does one of the two things well, you know, so (laughs) there's it. I mean, better than Mortal Instruments. I'll give it that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Here's something that this book does. I have a few literary nitpicks picks 
I think I've mentioned before, maybe I haven't. One of mine is I hate the phrase, and then we were kissing, or and mm-hmm. then she was kissing me, or and then and, and that's used in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it comes up in Twilight. I don't think it has yet, unless it already did and I already mentioned it. I don't think so. You've mentioned I don't think so. hating it, but I don't yes, think it I happened. It. Another one I hate is this thing where it's like, I heard a piercing scream. With a shock, I realized it was mine. <laughs> I've heard that before too. Like, we all listened to this gurgling, screaming sound. And then I closed my mouth and I suddenly realized I had been the one making it. Like, this is a common <laughs> thing that's in a lot of books. And I I don't know why it's like, this is not realistic. Have you ever screamed and like not realized it was you? No, but I've also never been thrown across a room into a glass mirror. Yeah. And specifically, this is when he steps down on her leg and breaks her leg. Yeah. And then kicks it again. Yes. It is a trope though. I have heard it before. I've been rereading Percy Jackson and I feel like I just read a sentence like that in Percy Jackson. You're rereading Percy Jackson? Dude, I love Percy Jackson. No, I'm rereading it right now. <gasps> what book are you on? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know you were. Should we start another podcast? What book are you on? <laughs> I'm on the second um, one. I just finished The Titan's Curse, so I'm moving on to oh, Battle okay. of the Labyrinth. Battle of the Labyrinth is my second favorite. What's your favorite? The Sea of Monsters Ooh. is my favorite. <laughs> I still like The Lightning Thief. Lightning Thief is good too. Classic. Classic. I, I read The Lightning Thief again and then I watched the movie and yelled at it again because I hate the movie so much. Dude, no. The movie doesn't exist. It's like different level than Twilight. I saw the movie right when it came out and it was so bad and then Rachel was like, I'm gonna go see the movie and I'm like, I'm coming with you to watch it again (laughs) because it's so bad and I need to like relive this with someone else. You needed to process. I remember complaining the whole time that it felt like the soundtrack had one song. It was just one song over and over and over. I don't remember that. I just remember like- It's a good song. They broke the plot. They completely broke the plot. Yeah, the plot's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different podcast is us ranting about the Percy Jackson movie. <laughs> Welcome to our Percy Jackson podcast. Think of a clever name. Percy and the Jacksons. The Jackson 5. The Jackson no. 2. The Jackson 2. <laughs> the, ja- <laughs> the Jackson 2 doesn't make any sense. All right. Copywriting here. Jackson 2. You heard uh, it here the, first. The Jackson 2 is our new segment at the end of Twifight where we discuss our updates on reading the Percy Jackson books. My update is I reread them every like, I don't know, four or five years and they always hold up. I reread them in high school. I reread them in college and I'm rereading them, you know, being four years out of college and they're still good. They definitely hold up. For being 25 and the first time I read it, I was 12. I'm having just as much fun. Yeah. And every time I mention it to like anybody my age, they're like, oh, those books are so good. Like you never hear anyone say those books are bad. No. One of my friends actually, I just convinced her to start reading it. So I loaned her my first book and she's reading that now. I'm trying to get Keith to read it. Has he never read them? No, he's never read them. Oh, definitely get him to read it. Somehow he missed all the main young adult novel series. Twilight, Harry Potter, and Percy Jackson. He didn't read Harry Potter? He didn't read Harry Potter until after college. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Well, at least he read that one chapter of Twilight. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, returning to Twilight. Yeah, returning to Twilight. That was uh, that was the Jackson 2. And now we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Bella. <laughs> Bella gets her. I feel like we need a little intro song that I can put at the beginning of that. <laughs> Be like, uh, <laughs> what's a what's a Jackson 5 song? Um, like, uh, I want I want you back. A, B, C. Easy as one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can do something with that. Definitely. The end of this chapter is going to be Bella gets her head slammed into some more glass and she's losing lots of blood. She's going to go unconscious as the hunter 
starts to lean in because he's he, he was planning on killing her slowly, but now that she's gushing blood, he's like, can't control himself. Yep. And the last thing we see is she's like feebly trying to protect her face with one hand and he's kind of like slowly walking up to her with those bloodlusty eyes. That's the end of the chapter. And then Bella dies and the book is over. That's it. That's it. And now the Jackson 2, what we're really here for. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so confused the first time I read this that there's like a reveal on let me see it's in my book it's page 444 and it's when Bella finds out that her mom is not there what it says is so Bella hears her mom laugh or hears her mom call her name and then hears her mom laugh it says there she was on the tv screen tousling my hair in relief it was Thanksgiving and I was 12 we'd gone to see my grandmother in California the last year before she died we went to the beach one day and I leaned too far over the edge of the pier. She'd seen my feet flailing, trying to reclaim my balance. Bella, Bella, she'd called at me in fear. And then the TV screen went blue. The first time I ever read that, I was very confused. I thought they were like flashing back. I thought she was having like a flashback about like being at her grandparents' house or something oh. like that on Thanksgiving. I was very confused. <laughs> and then I was like, oh no, she's watching TV. Okay. Yeah. I had to read it like two or three times before I figured out what was going on. Did that happen this time or this time you were prepared? No, this time I was prepared, but... And were you like, wow, can't believe I fell for that the first time? I think what it was is like the first time I read this book, I was just so into what was happening that I probably like skimmed, you know, like sometimes you're reading a sentence and your brain like jumps ahead and starts reading the next one. And so I probably like missed the part where it said that she looked at the TV and, and I just went straight from her mom laughing to like, it was Thanksgiving. Mm, I got <laughs> like, you. wait, what? <laughs> Why are we flashing back in the middle of this scene? Right. So let's talk about the F. Lawrence. We had zero in both of these chapters. I really wish James had kidnapped Lauren. That would have been so funny. But yeah. And then Bella really could have said F Lauren when she didn't sacrifice herself for Lauren. Yes. Alas. It would have been great. Alas. Alas. So the worst line was what, Rachel? The worst line for me had to be, I had no choices now but one, to go to the mirror room and die. I just, I can't do the so self-sacrificing, melodramatic. melodramatic, you know. I feel like a lot of my worst lines are in this theme. I just can't do it. Sorry, Bella. What was your best line? Yeah, so my best line, I, I wrote down two. I'm gonna, I know which one I'm actually gonna choose, but I do want to call out honorable mention to a part that is not really a great line, but I, I kind of like the notion behind it. I kind of do and I kind of don't. She says, this is when she has decided that she's, uh, she's still in the hotel, but she's decided she's gonna go try and save her mom. And she says, the decision was made. It did no good to waste time agonizing over the outcome. Obviously, this is not healthy right here because <laughs> Bella's tr trying to go, you know, die to save her mom but in general I do kind of like this of like I hate it when someone makes a decision and then they continue to agonize over the decision mm -hmm. it's like once you've made the decision just stick with it like for me and Bella says this earlier in the book when she's talking about deciding whether or not she's gonna be okay with Edward being a vampire mm -hmm. or not and once she decides she is she goes okay I feel good the hard part for me was making the decision but once it's made I just go through with it and here is it's kind of like a callback to that earlier in the mm. book so I liked that but my my real best line is in chapter 22. It's when uh, James is talking about how good Alice smelled and he says, she smelled even better than you do. Sorry. I don't need mean to be offensive. You have a very nice smell. Floral somehow. I just kind of <laughs> like that. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm about to kill you, but like, sorry that I just offended you by telling you that you're not as good smelling as someone else. <laughs> This is why we needed more James throughout the book. He's a good villain. This line is genius. It's so great. Yeah. 
we have no food counts in either of these chapters, unless you count Bella being food for James, but I don't think we do. <laughs> well, he hasn't eaten her yet, so no. But we kind of had a potato. Um, so on her way running, on the way from her mom's house to the ballet studio, it seems like she trips and falls a few times, scratches her hands up a lot, which to me, like, wouldn't her hands be bleeding? And wouldn't her... Okay, plot hole. We don't need to go and do it. She trips and falls a bunch on the way to the ballet studio. And I was like, I kind of get it. You're you're nervous because you're probably about to die. Maybe one trip, you know, I get it. It sounded like it was three or more, which is excessive. But, you know, we'll cut her some slack here. I kind of get it. But that brings us to a total of... I think it's 38. I think this is left over from the last one. That brings us to a total of 38 potatoes. Honorary 39. You know why. <laughs> And if you don't, go back and listen to the other episodes. Yeah, they're good. And find out why. They're funny. It could be an honorary 41 if someone would just send Mary a bra full of potatoes. A bra full of (laughs) potatoes. Yeah, then we would have some more. All right, we got to rank these chapters. So the phone call chapter, I feel like that's pretty close to the previous one, which was chapter 20 in Patience. I agree. Which we have way down at at number 19. I feel like it was a little more exciting. Is it a little better? I do think it's better because we at least had some plot moving forward when James calls and I did like the moment where like she thinks it's her mom but then it's James what was chapter 12 balancing I don't remember. Was don't it better remember. or worse than balancing? What were they balancing? I'm trying to remember. Let's see. Um, she makes a sandwich for Jacob. <laughs> um, she, she drives to school with Edward. They sit in the cafeteria together for the first time. This yeah. feels so long ago. Mike asks her to the dance again. LOL, Mike. She does laundry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's a really long chapter, but it's kind of boring. Yeah. I feel like the fact that we literally couldn't remember what happened in it means it should probably be lower than the phone call. Oh, you know what they also do? They walk, they take the hike before they get to the meadow. That's all in that (laughs) chapter. It's a long chapter. Wow. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. I I feel like the the phone call is so short though. I could go either way. Either right above or right below this one. Is the moment with James good enough to make it better than that long, boring chapter? I don't know. She does make a sandwich. She does make a sandwich. Jacob is in that chapter. I feel like there's got to be more substance in that chapter since it's about four times as long. <laughs> You're right. So I think I think this needs to be chapter 21. Phone, is it called the phone call or just phone call? I think it's phone call. Phone call. Yeah, phone right. call. And then uh, what do we have... For wh- where are we putting this one? The hide and seek. seek. Why is it called hide and seek? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure what the hide part is. No. I guess she's seeking James. She was hiding. It's called hide and seek. And then she was seeking. I guess. Mm. Oh, you're right. She was hiding from James and then she changed her mind and she went to go seek him. Nice. So it's clever. It's a decent chapter. We yeah. get a lot of cool revelations. 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 She escapes. She she does that part where she runs through the the bathroom and then and. And then you know scrapes her hands on the ground and then there's some there's some bloody <laughs> action so what are some other chapters that are kind of similar to this like i mean this is the climax of the book mm-hmm. it is the climax but it's also very different from the rest of the book it doesn't really build on the edward bella situation um maybe number three i feel like this is more important than scary stories but i don't know if i like it as much as the other chapters i agree like i like the other chapters earlier they're kind of more exciting when you're finding out that Edward's a vampire. Mm-hmm. It's got a similar amount of action to chapter eight, Port Angelus.
Dallas. Mm. I don't remember what Goodbyes is about. That's when they're leaving. I definitely think it's better than Goodbyes. Yeah. So I would say it's either right above or right below Port Angeles, probably. Let's go above Port Angeles because I think blood type is better. But I think this this plot point is like more important. And it's the climax. Yes. Okay, cool. So we have it newly at number five. So this was a pretty split situation here where we had chapter 22 at number five and chapter 21 way down at number 20. It's kind of like last time where we had chapter 19 at seven and chapter 20 way down at 21. So awesome. Cool, cool, cool. This book is very all over the place. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew really to add to our Captain America Civil War Twilight teams. No. The only character we really got to know more about was... James, and he's just a little too extreme for Team Rachel. I think so. So (laughs) something interesting, I will say, is that I recently, within the last week, watched Captain America Civil War for the first time, and all of this makes more sense now, so. Is it accurate? Not really, (laughs) but but Iron Man is on a separate team from Captain America. We don't even have Captain America on here. (laughs) You should have Captain America, because I have Iron Man. I don't want Captain America. Like, my, my big take from watching that movie is I love Iron Man and mm. I hate Captain America. Too bad he's on my team. So, yeah. Okay. All right. This has been a really long podcast with some technical difficulties. Let's wrap <laughs> it up. It's been fun. I'm, I'm glad you guys maybe enjoyed this climactic episode or maybe you didn't. Whatever. You know who did enjoy this podcast? People who left reviews a long ass time ago. So let's read some <laughs> of those. Oh, look. Way back in December, <laughs> we had a review. Hey. And we're going to read it now. We're going to read it now. Uh, this review says, Mary and her co-hosts are a great listen. I've been meaning to listen to Kowski Cast for a while now. I wasn't caught up on Riverdale, so I put it off for a long time. But this weekend I started listening to Twi-Fi and I got three of the things I love best. Number one, great audio quality and just enough editing on the podcast. There's, there's no, there's way too much editing on the podcast, but okay. <laughs> Number two, humor from the hosts. You get a sense of their personalities to where you always know who is speaking in their viewpoint. Aww. Aww. And number three, catchy themes song. I don't know yet if the Riverdale experience will be equally to my liking, but I think it will. Great job, Mary, Rachel, and Kirsten. Thanks. I love that. That was so sweet. Thank you, Buckner WH. Yeah. Thanks, Buckner WH. Buckner WH. Buckner. I don't know. Stick around for the Jackson too. You might enjoy that as well. Yeah, you might enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for that review. Sorry it took so long to get to reading it, but hopefully you're still listening. Maybe you gave up on TwiFight and Kowski Cast totally in general. Totally understand. Totally understand. But we're going to appreciate that review that you left a good five months ago. We're going to read it now. Okay, thank you. All right, everyone. This was fun. Rachel, you got anything else on these two chapters? Anything else you want to say? Anything else about the Jackson too? <laughs> Nothing else on the Jackson and two. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> I was going to say I'm excited for the end of this book, but that feels a little too negative. <laughs> I've no, enjoyed it. I think this. it's a long time coming. I, yeah. I'm going to be excited to wrap up Twilight because I really want to watch the movie. Yeah. So are, are the next two that. chapters the last two? What do we have left? I think they are because we just did 21, 22. So there's 23, 24. There's 24 and an epilogue. 23 might be the shortest chapter in this whole book. The angel. It's really short. You're, oh, you're right. We do have the epilogue. See, my book is a lot longer because it has the first chapter of the next book in it. Oh, right. So that's why it seems long. Okay, cool. Wow. All right. So next week's is going to be the final. I don't know why I keep saying next week. The one after this (laughs) will be the final
final Twilight proper book. Let's, I, I, here's an idea. Rachel, what if we maybe tried to schedule uh, an in-person sesh after that to, to watch the movie? Maybe we could, we could be in the same location. Ooh, okay. I think that might be, I think that might be fun. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so it'll be fun. We should do that. Okay, cool. Let's, let's plan on that then. So we got some fun things, fun things coming down the pipe. All right, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. That's all for this week's episode. Feel free to send us comments and questions on our website or on Twitter at KowskiCast. That's Cow with K. You can also follow me online at Frail Mary, and you can follow Rachel. Why is there a space? Rachel. <laughs> you can also follow Rachel at Stukin on Twitter. That's S-T-3-U-S-K-E-N. Stukin. And thanks, as always, to Will from America for creating our really terrific theme song. Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We'll read it at least five months from now. So <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way for people to find the show and the best way to encourage us and to keep us keep us on our BS for <laughs> no, it sounds weird. Keep us on the wagon. <laughs> no. <laughs> keep us honest for getting episodes out regularly. Yeah, you know I'm leaving all of those in. No. <laughs> <laughs> keep us on the wagon, y'all. <laughs> all right. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us and we'll be back next time for the end of our chapters for our rereads of chapters 23 <laughs> 24. And the epilogue? And the epilogue. Woo. For now, we made it. we're the Kowski cast. Twihards and fellow haters, thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. Yeah, screw Jasper. Every morning when I wake up, I ask myself if I'm Team Edward or Team Jacob. But a part of me says that Twilight is dumb. captured by James. <laughs> Bella's like, Psh, who cares? Who? <laughs> yeah.